two guys in the Bible. This is a weekly conversation on theology, culture, and God's most holy word. My name is Dylan Keniston, and as always, I am joined this morning with Eric Leupold. How are you doing this morning, brother? I'm doing better with coffee. Doing better with coffee, and I'm doing better with tea. Yes, <laughs> we've got our caffeine this morning. Uh, praise the Lord That's for a little right. bit of an extra kick. Um, so what we're going to be talking about this morning is human rights and just the concept of human rights, where they come from. So I'm going to share a really brief story. I remember a couple of years back, I was uh, spending some time with family, and we were walking around. I think this was in Virginia. And we were walking around checking out some shops in some small town. And at the time, I remember there was this one uh, man who was kind of standing on the street mm -hmm. corner and handing out pamphlets. Now, I think this was around an election season. And he was asking people who were passing by, do you believe in fill-in-the-blank rights, right? So do you believe in these kinds of rights or rights for this group or for that group, right? And so he was trying to, you know, from his perspective, championing rights for various groups. And, mm. you know, I did pass this chap by, and I had a chance to ask him as he kind of handed me a pamphlet, is it, you know, just out of curiosity, uh, where do rights come from? Right. So and, and not necessarily trying to, like, even push back or disagree, just just curious for where he thought rights came from. And I will never forget this. He just really did not give me an answer. You what know, did he, he say? I think I don't honestly remember. I think he kind of came back to his original talking point, his original script, which yeah. was like, you know, these, you know, such and such group, this group has rights, um, <clears> you know, and, <throat> and you're not questioning that, are you? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But but not really giving me a straight answer for where the rights came from. Yeah, that stuck with me and it still sticks with me as like, you know, and really a pivotal question. I mean, we live in a culture that is just talking about rights all the time, which can be a really, really good thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we live we live in a culture of rights, a society that's like, you know, every desirable thing we want to attach the word right to it, because if we can, there's a kind of rhetorical power that comes with that. That's right. True. But like it, it kind of raises the question what is a right? Because I think there's mm -hmm. kind of very distinct concepts that are often used under the rubric of that same word. Yeah. So, you know, what we want to do today is kind of peel back some of the layers of that onion and see, you know, at root, what do we really mean when we're talking about rights? And not only that, but mm -hmm. where do they come from? You know, we are in, you know, uh, we're towards the end of 2019, we're coming up to 2020. And I can expect, you know, from both sides of the political aisle, we're going to hear a lot about rights in the coming uh, elections. Yeah. Uh, so, so it might just be useful to take a little bit of time and consider what do we mean by rights and what is their biblical grounding. So Eric, yeah. I'll turn to you first. You know, what, what's kind of the context around this conversation as you see it? Yeah, well, definitely uh, what's motivating me to want to do this topic. And uh, I think it's, it's very fitting because in all of our political discourse, discussions, debates, uh, right now you, there's a couple of Democratic uh, debates that have been, been going on for the Democratic Party. And you will almost always uh, hear the concept of, of rights being brought up. You'll hear uh, a, a variety of, of rights being advocated for. Um, and usually after there's a there's a there's a shooting of some kind a violent activity you'll talk you'll hear the words uh, gun rights or or whatnot uh, being thrown around um, you'll hear things about uh, rights to speech or uh, rights of religion uh, things like that um, so really it's the language is is uh, it's everywhere in our culture and I think as as Christians we got to be you know we have to be able to step back for a second. And think, okay, 
as I engage in this conversation with my coworkers, friends, and family, you know, how should I approach it? What should I be, um, what should I be thinking about? You know, when when they throw out any concept of rights, um, how do I even begin to peel back that onion? You mm-hmm. know, and and maybe we'll look into some more specific uh, rights in future episodes. But this episode is is meant to kind of lay the foundation for uh, for rights. Um, and I'll just give a couple examples from uh, recent uh, the Democratic debates and other Democratic discussions. Um, uh, the most recent Democratic debate, I heard uh, Senator Cory Booker, uh, he, he said, uh, quote, we are seeing all over this country women's reproductive rights under attack. So he uses the phrase reproductive rights, and, and, and many of them as, as well use that phrase. Um, another candidate, uh, Thomas Steyer, he said, uh, as a result of taking away the rights of working people and organized labor, people haven't had a raise uh, for 40 years. Um, and then, you know, Bernie, Bernie Sanders also uh, talks about economic rights in many of his discussions, right to health care, right to education, um, right to a, a living wage, a clean environment, uh, all these things. Um, and then if you go to, let's say, the uh, official platform of the Democratic Party, and I'm just picking them because they're, you know, this is the season in which all of their candidates are talking. Um, right. If the shoe could, were on the other foot, I'm sure we could find pl- yes. ample opportunities to be, you know, bringing the same thing to the forefront. Oh, certainly. For the Republican I mean, if, candidates. You were to, if you were to talk about talk about gun rights, that'd be more of the Republican Party mm-hmm. advocating for those types of rights, yeah. per se, right? So, um, but I'm just giving a, a list here of all the, I tried to find all the, the rights that were um, annotated in the in the official uh, Democratic platform, and here are a list of the rights that are mentioned. We have workers' rights, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, voting rights, uh, persons with disabilities rights, civil rights, reproductive rights, the rights of young people, and then human rights uh, in general. Uh, so lots of rights <laughs> being mm-hmm. uh, being listed in there. Um, and so the question is. Where does that term even come from? Why do we even use that term? Mm. Why is it so powerful? If someone were to come up to you and say, I have a right to this, it, it kind of sticks you a little bit. You know, it has some weight. It has some power uh, behind it. And I think if we can, uh, if we boil it down to the, the most basic level, um, when we use the term, when anyone uses the term rights, they're trying to legitimize a, a, a certain claim that they have or that they're making, right? Um, and if you uh, really at, at at its bottom, a right implies that that a person either must have a particular thing uh, in their possession, or they must be able to um, engage in a particular behavior without any hindrance or obstacle in their path. And so, to uh, for them to not have this thing, uh, or for them to have any kind of obstacle to their uh, desired behavior, that would be a violation of their so-called right. Okay, and then it also implies that the culture ha- is obligated to do something about it. So if I say I have a right to something, if I don't have that thing, or if I cannot acquire that thing, it is the duty of the society in general to fix that problem, to address the issue, whether that is removing an obstacle from me 
or to actually getting me, getting me that thing that mm-hmm. I want. Um, so really, it's a it's a claim for other people, this is society, to do something for me in a way mm. that, that meets my needs or my desires. And so that just seems to be the very general concept of rights. And, and some might be legitimate claims. Some might not be legitimate claims. I mean, I think a, a very legitimate claim uh, would be the right to a fair trial, let's say. Mm. Okay, so if you, if you are thrown in, in jail unjustly, you know, the, the police come along, they just take you away. Uh, simply because uh, uh, the governor or the uh, commissioner doesn't like you, you're thrown in prison. Um, you know, you could say my rights had been violated, my right to a fair trial, um, and that and that would be correct. Like you're not being given something or provided something, a fair trial that you deserve, and you're asking and you're calling upon society to step in and do something about it. Hold that hold that uh, governor or that police officer accountable for taking advantage and abuse of their power, right? So that would be a very simple example. Um, but see, one of the things yeah. that's interesting about that is that in that particular example, it's, it's, it sounds fundamentally different than some mm. of the examples that you had expressed earlier, because it seems like in the list from the platform that you had shared earlier, mm-hmm. you know, workers' rights, women's rights, uh, civil, civil rights, reproductive rights, it sounds like would all of these uh, have at root is an attempt at uh, what what they would perceive as kind of correcting inequalities, right? Mm-hmm. So what kind of these seem to have in common is the notion that inequalities are unfair. And, and you know, when I hear that, part of me wants to say, you know, this kind of ties back to a, a bit of a difference in worldview on, you know, the difference between equal rights and equal results, mm-hmm. right? So having, you know, free opportunity to pursue A, B, and C yes. doesn't necessarily mean that A, B, and C is going to be the result. So, you know, we have the right to pursue happiness. That's right. We don't necessarily have a right to happiness. Yes. All right. And, and so what it seems like these are trying to do is to kind of remove any blocks to a happy life or to a good life or to an equal result that kind of puts everybody on the on the same uh, footing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Would, would that be a fair no, summary? I think that that's where that's why it's so complicated because you have to you have to use discernment to try to figure out what are they specifically asking for. Um, a lot of a lot of these rights um, are tied to some kind of material object. Uh, a lot of times, so. If someone says they have a right to a car, what that means is if they don't have a car, society needs to do something to get them a car. Hmm. Now, that would be different than saying I have a right to purchase a car. Right. You know, that basically, you know, if, if for whatever reason there was a law in place that says, you know, uh, men named Dylan are not, are, are not allowed to own cars. They can't purchase cars in the United States, you know, for whatever reason, uh, anyone with a first name Dylan. So... So Dylan, you can no longer you can no longer purchase a car in the United States, and everyone else can except you, um, and that would be a, a, a an inequality. But it's the reason the reason for the inequality is is because of something more fundamental happening. You know what I'm saying? So so inequalities could be it could be because of uh, of an, an, an actual fundamental problem uh, underlying the the law or underlying the, the behavior, but uh, a lot of times uh, in our current discourse today, inequality in general, or any kind of inequality is considered itself to be evil. Basically, the assumption is any that, that people are having is 
if there's inequality, it's only because of some kind of injustice that is happening that mm. needs to be corrected. And they completely dismiss the concept or the possibility that inequality could be just the natural outworking of things. Yeah. Okay. So that's where we have to discern what do they mean when they say certain a certain right that they have. Right. And even like that talk about rights, it would not be absolute, right? So to your, to the example that yeah. you were just talking about where like if I if I were not able to drive a car or something mm -hmm. or other, you know, but my neighbors were, mm -hmm. well, it could be that I had been, you know, arrested for driving drunk, which I've never been, praise the Lord. But, <laughs> um, but like if I like if I'm arrested for driving drunk, I you know, my 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 rights are not absolute, just in the same way I might forfeit my right to life if I take someone else's life. I might forfeit my right to vote in certain contexts if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, accused or yeah. uh, not only accused, but uh, what's the word? Convicted. Convicted. Of, of certain types of crimes. So there, there are certain, you know, rights that even, even the rights that we would want to uphold uh, are not, are not necessarily absolute. You know, I, I, I would agree. Like even the, let's say the right to, um, the right to religion, religious worship, right? I mean, you know, if you're an Aztec exactly, and you're yeah. practicing child sacrifice and human sacrifice and possibly even cannibalism, I, I don't think the culture is going to stand for that in general, and and they can't, you, you know, they can't be having you do do things like that. So, so that that makes that's exactly right. <laughs> no pun intended with the, the right. <laughs> well, and it, you know, here's here's why this strikes me as so important is because mm -hmm. you know a culture that is not thinking clearly about rights cannot then think clearly about justice now mm. like justice generally is a it, that too is a word it's a term it's a concept that permeates public conversation but fuzzy thinking like what is what is one of the roots of the concept of justice has to do with rights so justice yeah. can be defined by like the rights that people have so mm -hmm. there's injustice when rights are compromised or mm -hmm. when rights are um you know, again, I can't think of the words this morning, but you understand. understand. Yeah. So like if that attendant concept is not uh, is not thought of clearly, then we won't be then the ripple effect yeah. is is tremendous. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the current context of of our discussion of human rights. But I want to I want to trace this back kind of uh, I want to go on a journey kind of back a little bit and look at how human rights has developed. I mean, there's so many documents out there. I'm not going to go through them all, but I want to try to show to our listeners uh, where perhaps at some point along the way the wheels fell off hmm. and the concept of rights became skewed. So uh, <clears throat> probably the first document to look at would be the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. So you can look that up on the Internet. It's perfectly available for anybody to read. Uh, pre presented in 1948 with the United Nations and basically, they argue, if you just look at the very beginning of the uh, document, they say, uh, quote, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. And that is, so that's the end of that quotation, and that is where the United Nations grounds the concept of human rights. Simply, it's just kind of a given, like we're born free. That's a, that's a statement of fact. Okay, they don't have like anything before that to kind of, it's not a conclusion. They just come out saying humans are born free and equal in dignity and rights. And we'll get back to, you know, the question always is, why? Where do you, what, what ground do you have on saying that? Mm. That's the, so keep that in mind. 
um, go back uh, about 150 years to the French Revolution in the Declaration of the Rights of Man. So here is a, a couple uh, statements from that uh, declaration in 1789. Quote, Men are born and remain free and equal in rights. Social distinctions may be founded only upon the general good. Okay, so that sounds very similar to what the United Nations will later say. But then there's another uh, statement that's very interesting from, uh, from the French Revolution here. The principle of all sovereignty resides essentially in the nation. Nobody nor individual may exercise any authority which does not proceed directly from the nation. So what they've done in the Declaration of the Rights of Man, which is interesting, is, uh, yes, they say everyone is born free and equal in rights, but really the nation is sovereign. The nation, this nebulous term nation, is sovereign over everything. Nobody, no individual, may exercise any authority which does not come directly from the nation. So they don't really come out and say it um, um, explicitly, but basically the idea is that rights are given by the state, the state, by the nation, the nebulous nation, right? Mm -hmm. That's where rights come from. And anyone who isn't getting it from the nation is outside of the bounds, right? And that, you know, that might, uh, as Christians, that might strike us as a little odd, like, huh? And, and it should, it really should. So just take it back just a few years to the United States Declaration of Independence, right? Just 12 years earlier than the French. And here is uh, the famous words from our Declaration uh, of 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. I'll stop there for a second. And really, one, this is where I think you can see the difference. Um, the first two, the United Nations and the Declaration of Rights of Man from the French, there is no mention of any creator, of anybody who is an authority over humans. But in the United States, Declaration of Independence, it's very clear these rights come from the creator. God endows men with rights, and the government, their job is to simply secure them, to recognize them, honor them, secure them, and protect them. They don't come from the government. They come from God. Got it. So, so our yeah. rights don't come from the generosity of the framers of the Declaration or yeah. the Constitution. Yeah. Right? So, the, like, can the state be the source of rights? It sounds like here the answer is no. And I, you know, I think the the framers did understand the distinction between a right and a and a grant, or you know, that that era's word for kind of a benefit, mm -hmm. right? That, that you were talking about before. So, like, because here's the here's the danger in that: what the government gives, the government can take away. And if rights can be taken away, then they cannot be inalienable. They can be alienated right. from us. That's right. right. And so, so for Christians, right, rights can't be taken away because, precisely because, they don't depend on the authority of the government. The government is a, is a servant yep. which is tasked by God to pass on the protections of these rights to its people as an administrator of the rights given by God. Mm -hmm. 
not by the state. The state is merely a facilitator, an administrator, a protector of yeah. these rights intergenerationally. So it just it strikes mm -hmm. me, especially that language of inalienable, right? If if the rights are fundamentally grounded in the state, or they come from the state, they're bestowed by the state, mm -hmm. they can be alienated <clears throat> from us. <clears throat> yep. And when that happens, the state is ba is basically trying to play God. And you know, we're, we're you know, remember Job says. Uh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Just replace the Lord with the word the state. The state gives and the state takes away. Blessed be the name of the state. Um, if the state can come along and say, rights are what I say they are, then you are in a very bad situation. The state can change their opinion and can take away your rights whenever they see fit because they are what they say they are. Instead of God saying rights are what I say, what he says they are, right? So, and then, you know, I don't want to spend too much time into it, but if you just look at, go back from before the Declaration of Independence, you can look at John Locke. Um, uh, John Locke was a very influential on the American Revolution, uh, the thought going behind the American Revolution. Um, and he says that, quote, whether we consider natural reason, which tells us that men being once born have a right to their preservation, um, and consequently to meat and to drink and such other things as nature affords for their subsistence or revelation, which gives us an account of those grants God made to Adam and to Noah and to his sons. It is very clear that God has given the earth to the children of men, given it to mankind in common. So even John Locke, who is considered by many to be a deist or an atheist, um, in his writings, uh, he even later on quotes from Psalm 115 and uh, advocates that rights come from God uh, creating mankind. Um, uh, Samuel Rutherford uh, wrote in the, I believe in the 1600s, he wrote a book called Lex Rex, The Laws of the King. Um, and he even says here, man is created in the image of God. He is a sacred thing and by nature's law can be no more sold and bought than a religious and sacred vessel is dedicated to God. Every person is by nature born free. Um, and then just, Go back even further to the Reformation. Uh, John Calvin, he writes that uh, uh, in his uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion, he says this, quote, the characteristic of a true sovereign is to acknowledge that in the administration of his kingdom, he is a minister of God. He who does not make his reign subservient to the divine glory acts not the part of a king, but of a robber. So really, uh, the idea that rights uh, come from our creator is thoroughly grounded in the Christian tradition, uh, the Reformation, and going back even further, uh, St. Augustine talks about it um, in the late Roman Empire, and ultimately it comes from God's Word. As we try to ask, ask the question, what is a right and why do I have it? And the, and the final answer is because God. Because God is really the answer. Um, and this is a look at even in the in the beginnings of uh, of scripture. There, look in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six and twenty seven is kind of where a lot of it is grounded, where uh, it says God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So the concept of image of God is tied to God giving dominion to humanity to do things. 
that in that means that humans have some authority and a sense of property really um because god gave it to us yeah it's so we have so we have derivative rights you might say That's as exactly. being made in yeah. god's image so yes. god has rights <laughs> and and justice uh is god getting his rights yeah. now when he creates by grace, human beings. He didn't have to create human beings. He didn't have to make us in our image, in his image, excuse me. Yeah. He didn't have to give us rights. He didn't have to do any of these things. But he deigns to because he is gracious, merciful, loving, compassionate. And he creates in his image because he is glorified by having his image magnified throughout the cosmos. Right. Mm -hmm. So now the same then is true of human rights that is a mechanism for glorifying god by upholding human rights and we'll talk about you know mm -hmm. what some of those are rooted in scripture mm -hmm. uh, in in just a minute i mean you would but but the foundation here is god has rights he creates human beings in his image and so like the sovereign the image likewise has rights that are derived yeah. so so i think that I, I just love where you're starting there right you're starting from who is god and then who he has created human beings to be and has granted them to have yeah. and to bear his image. <clears throat> One thing to keep in mind also is the concept of value, right? So if you say you have a right to something, that means that you value that thing. Mm. Okay, if I have a right to life, I mean, that only matters and people only really talk about that because in general they value their lives. They want to be alive and not have that taken from them. If you didn't really value anything at all, um, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be saying anything about uh, your rights. I mean, you know when, yeah, it's like any kind of any kind of garbage, right? You throw your garbage out and you don't care if someone takes it from the side of the road. When the garbage man comes, you don't go out there screaming like I have rights. This is mine, because it would make no sense. You don't value what he's picking up to take away to the garbage dump, you know. And he would look at you very confused if you were to scream about your rights. That's your trash, you know. He's like, well, you put it out there for me to take away. You don't value it. So the right, the concept of rights doesn't even come into that picture, you know. Mm. So, and, and at the, thing, at the, the thing of it is, is that God is the one who bestows value upon something. He tells us in his word what is valuable and what is not valuable. So therefore, that's where rights can be derived from. What has value? What value does God give um, a particular thing? So, for example, we see the right to life is right from the beginning. I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse uh, verse 6. Um, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So right there, God, speaking to Noah after the flood, is saying, yeah, because of man being made in my image, if you take a man's life, you, you forfeit your own, mm. okay? You forfeit your life if you take, if you murder somebody else because there's there's value there, right? And so God is now basically giving a concept of right to life. Um, just look at the Ten Commandments. I mean, you have, you thou shall not steal. You got the right to property. God is, is valuing the concept of personal. He gives that to people as he gives dominion to humans to, to take the earth and multiply fulfill it um and to and to uh to in a way uh, build um a kingdom for god's glory that's what we're supposed to be doing um thou shalt not bear false witness so so that's a sense of a right to a fair trial where that comes into play so you are not supposed to uh bear a false witness against 
uh, your uh, your neighbor. Um, and these these rights get uh, uh, fleshed out in the uh, in the law given to Moses uh, later on in Exodus 23, uh, verse 2. It says, uh, "You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man." In his lawsuit, so again, justice is supposed to be blind, um, because there's supposed to be no partiality, and God, God says that's that's valuable to protect and to defend. Rights, you know, the Bible talks about rights of self-defense, marital rights, firstborn rights, Deuteronomy chapter 21. So, all the concept of rights derives from God's character and from God's law given to us. And um, this is where um, we have to, as Christians, try to try to think about the concept of rights in our cultural discussions today. Is something really a right? Uh, has God said it to be a right? And if not, then maybe we should be careful before we start creating rights that don't exist. Because when we do that, we are basically saying God's law is either not sufficient or it's not correct, and uh, we can kind of fix the situation. You know? Got it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because I noticed a right to housing is not on that list. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Well, a right to health care is not on that list. Right, so here's what's interesting. Yeah. The, the concept of rights comes with corresponding duties that is for other parties, right? Yeah. And the nature of the duty that's laid incumbent on other parties depends on the kind of right we're talking about, the nature of the right we're talking about. So what... What these items in this list that you just helpfully kind of uh, went, you know, walked us through is that all of these have in common that they are what you what might be usefully called freedom rights um, as distinct from we, we might call them funded rights mm -hmm. or, or non-discrimination rights. Mm -hmm. So I think when I think about what is a right, so it, there are, I think, three different dis philosophically distinct categories of what we could mean. And I know we kind of reviewed mm -hmm. this briefly early on, but one is a freedom right, which is just the notion that others have a duty to forbear on an individual's decisions, right? So you think of like free, uh, uh, private property, right? You, you do what you want with your property. It doesn't cost anyone every, anything. Mm -hmm. uh, free speech, there's a duty to forbear <laughs> in what happens, right? So uh, a right to a fair trial and not to, to bear false witness right in this way. I am to forbear with whatever the results are of the truth, mm -hmm. you know, on the grounds of the truth, the right to life, exactly. So what these are, right, fundamentally, these check government power, right? The right to bear arms means, for example, that a government, a state can't take away from its citizens the right to own a gun. The right to life means a state can't take away a person's right to live or to, to free speech. A government can't take away uh, the, the ability to speak freely in, in, a, in a free society. Mm -hmm. Now, again, none of these rights are absolute. We've given some examples of where those lines are drawn in, in various instances. Oh, yeah, like in Genesis 9-6 where, you know, God even says if you murder somebody else, you forfeit your life. Exactly. You, so the, the, the murderer can't say, hey, wait a minute, I have a right to life. Well, you gave that up when you killed someone who was made in the image of God. Yes. You gave that up. And this is why, but this is why rights are inalienable, right? Because yeah. fundamentally, they're they're not grants from the state, but they're restrictions on the state, right? That the That's state right. is not authorized to I, yeah. do A, B, and C. That's right. Again, it's the Lord who gives and takes away. Yes. Right? So yes. he can decide 
when this property is no longer to be yours. Right. Now, See. now that's different from what we might call a funded right. So, yeah. you know, where, where you might think of this as some kind of material benefit mm -hmm. that other people have a duty to provide to you. Like a cell phone. Right. So some, some people have a, a right to A, B, or C at the expense of someone else, a right to housing, a right to health care, yes. right? A right to, if I, so here's where we're talking about, you know, the flip side of rights is duties, right? So if I have a right to, let's say, health care, that means that someone else has a corresponding duty to provide me that health care. If I have a right to housing, someone else has a corresponding duty to build me a house, right? So I am, so there is, I am then entitled to the labor of whoever is tasked work. with building yeah. me that house. You're entitled to the work of someone else. Right. Now, now, and so, now look, I, I think, and I think you would agree, like, we believe in the compassion of Christ and in the, the ministry of the church, in, in, you know, exercised through the deacons and going and assisting those who are in need, but calling those things rights as opposed to, let's say, privileges or, or graces freely mm -hmm. offered by free people blurs that distinction. And, and it kind of, again, it's whether or not you agree that that's actually legitimate is almost beside the point. All I really want to say is this is a distinct concept. It is fundamentally different than, a, you know, one of you know, the freedom rights that we had just talked about before. And then one final category mm -hmm. is non-discrimination rights. And I think, again, we have kind of a, a philosophically distinct concept. And yeah. this is the idea that, you know, skin color or nationality or gender are not going to be used to discriminate when a person is being active in society. You know, for example, maybe they're looking for a job, right? Um, they're, they're not going to be discriminated against. Or in the exercise of their freedom rights, they're not going to be mm -hmm. discriminated against on the basis of, let's say, you know, their, the, the color of their skin. Yeah. And so here's what's interesting to me about this category is that the, the non-discrimination non rights um, presuppose the first category, the freedom rights, right? So in other yeah. words... I, you, you cannot criminalize, uh, let's say, skin color, right? Yes. Now, why would you never criminalize skin color? Why would it be absurd to do? It would be absurd to do because skin color falls, on, it's, it's not against any kind of law. It is a freedom right. It is something that others have a duty to, to if, you know, if someone has a different skin color than, than you or than someone else, you are to live with that person and forbear. With, you know, again, it's not, not as if it even should be something that needs to be for, forborn. But you are to forbear with people who are different than you, right? Mm -hmm. Whether by, by race, by nationality, by gender, you know, some of these categories that are, that are commonly talked through. Now, yeah. yep. here's one of the challenges, though, right? If you put something into this non-discrimination rights bucket, then if it also belongs in the freedom bucket, then, then we have to take care that that does not mean that we can't discriminate against things or, or people who have engaged in behavior that, doesn't, that, that perverts that freedom bucket. So here's what I mean by that. Yeah. You, you, you can discriminate against hiring a compulsive gambler as your company's treasurer, right? You can discriminate <laughs> against hiring a kidnapper to be your playground your monitor, your, or babysitter, your babysitter, or a yeah. drunk to be your kid's bus driver, right? So, so why does non-discrimination not extend to those categories? It's because those categories don't fall into the freedom bucket. There are sins that can disqualify people from certain jobs, from certain things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, now when you go beyond that, when you take the non-discrimination notion and extend it beyond those kinds of, uh, let's say, behaviors that compromise that freedom category, 
then what you can start to do unwittingly is create a perversion in in let's say for example the job market mm -hmm. so the so the state comes along and says we will prosecute you if you discriminate against fill in the blank right but not against say i don't know a calvinist or or you know whatever <laughs> you know you're not going to discriminate you know the well, state doesn't might. have that same level of protection some for might, some might do that you well know, the state won't the state <laughs> won't offer a calvinist that level of protection but you know just as an example right but now let's say you've got two people going in for an interview and you know one of them's a calvinist the other is i, I don't know fill in the blank with whatever group you know <laughs> who is the employer going to want to make sure he does not offend right so yeah. so in other words it's 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 the same kind of thing if someone applies to go to a school to enroll or to have a job you know somebody claims they they're of native american ancestry yes and maybe they're really not okay right? no why you know why would someone do that it's because there's a known that there's a perceived advantage created <laughs> of course by laying mm -hmm. out a non-discriminatory right in perhaps ways that god's law does not lay out now that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as non-discriminatory rights for immutable attributes in public context or public services like you know bus services or the like but otherwise outside of that we just got to be very careful so yes. all right so no, no. and also i was gonna oh well you were finished something. well all i was gonna say is that i all i'm really trying to say by all of this is that these are three distinct concepts of rights and when we when we put them all under the umbrella, under the rubric of the word rights, then our discourse gets muddy. It gets mm -hmm. confused. And so you might, and, and we might fully be on board with all three of these in, in their own context, but, but that's not mm -hmm. the point. The point is just, we want to know, you know, when we're talking about if something is called a right, then we want to be very clear about what we mean. And, you know, sometimes these categories are legitimate and have rooting in scripture. And sometimes they don't. And yeah. so I just think that's that's important to, you know, divvy out those differences. And at the end of the day, we have to take a look at what Scripture has to say regarding any of those categories. Because, you know, you had said earlier about, uh, about you know, skin color, right? Yeah. And, you know, the question would be, so what? Why, why not discriminate against the skin color? If you're going to say that we're all just a bunch of random chemicals— if you hold to an evolutionary perspective, uh, there is no inherent value in human beings, and the universe is in general meaningless, and there really is no such thing as justice. Uh, it's all just a social construct. It's whatever, it's whatever people decide at the time for it to be, right? It's might just, makes right. Might makes right. Yeah. I mean, so Power. there's nothing to say, you know, that one cultural group can't oppress and destroy and enslave another cultural group, right? Um, it's very important that things are are rooted in the uh, in the creation of the image uh, us being created in the image of God. Well, now, okay, so to that point, now, because yeah. this this comes up a lot. Now, if somebody comes up to you and says, "Eric, you know, here's here's the problem with what you're saying," yeah, you, and I'm just being facetious, right? But it's you, all good. You can't appeal to the Bible. You can't appeal to your Christian philosophy of life to talk about rights. That's unfair. Everybody unfair. has a right to their own opinion. Everybody has okay. So now, if somebody were to come, because that that kind of retort is very common. So I yeah. mean, what what might you to say to somebody who brought that up? Well, people can have a right to be wrong. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you could be. You, I mean, you have people have rights to their own opinion. That's correct. Um, you know, the conscience. You know, mm -hmm. the con. And in fact, guess what? The Bible talks about <laughs> the Bible talks about that too. Um, you know, 
should we obey God rather than man? Or, or uh, when, uh, when Jesus uh, talks about the, uh, the taxes to Caesar, uh, and he you know, says, uh, you know, whose who's likeness and image is this made? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. Well, they give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And there's a sense in which, uh, in that uh, parable, and that teaching, and other parts of Scripture, um, what you think or believe is between you and God. Um, and you have a right to believe uh, very numerous things at the end of the day. There, there really is not supposed to be a thought police that goes around, uh, a human thought police that goes around and says, you know, if you think this, you're, we're going to throw you in jail. Yeah, people have a freedom right to think as they wish. That's right. And they have a freedom right to their yeah. own opinion. They might not be able to, they can't they didn't necessarily act on it. I mean, if you, if you think that no one else, uh, you know, you should have all the money and no one else should have anything and that, you know, the way the, way the world should be is that everyone gives you their stuff. You, you can think that way all you want to, but if you start stealing everybody's stuff, that's when the government's going to come into play and say, okay, you've, you've, you've gone from the realm of thought yeah. to the realm of action, and that's, that's what God has given the civil magistrate to deal with. I was going to say, action, that's the state's right? realm, yeah. Well, you could even, I mean, like, like, you know, Jesus talks about um, do not commit murder, right? And if you have hatred in your heart, you're already guilty of murder before God. Right. And that's true, but hatred is not a crime. R exactly. Okay? This it, comes to the fundamental distinction between crimes that, and sins. If I hate somebody, okay. I mean, that's terrible, and that's between me and God and me and that person, but the government's not going to say, I sense hatred in your heart, time to come to jail. Right. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's the, that, so that is the domain of your church, of the local that's church, right. right? That has some authority. That's God's domain. That's God's alone. domain. Yes, yes, yes. Now, whereas the state has the domain of, of punishing crime, or, or you might say sins of the hand, that's right. as opposed to sins of the heart And that's still underneath God's authority, it is but still God has delegated. Yes. He yes. says, you may punish these things, Yes. right? And so this actually, I mean, we're not going to get into the hate crimes and hate speech, but that it bleeds over into that. Yeah. I mean, again, if you don't think that there's a God who makes a distinction between uh, a right and not a right, and you just start saying a lot of, you know, let's say you have a right not to be offended. If we're, okay, so yeah, that's another people don't one. like being offended, right? Yeah. And if I say, if you say something mean to me and it offends me and I cry out, Dylan has offended my rights. I have a right not to hear what he has to say. I have a right not to be offended. Then what I'm asking is for the civil government to stop you from talking, essentially. And nobody you know. could, so, which is just the muddiest thinking, right? Because then nobody could talk to anybody What's about childish? anything. What's childish? Because, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, got, I got three kids. I mean, and they, you know, he's hurting my feelings. You know, he says this. Yeah. He said, you know, my hair was ugly. And he's like, you know, he, he insulted me. Yeah. He insulted me, and, 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 and they, want, they come to me asking me to do something about it. And the implication is they want mommy or daddy to, I don't know, discipline this person for what they said. Now, there are some things I will certainly discipline, and at the very least we'll have a nice little chat about how to use your words wisely and for the love of your neighbor, but... But I don't call the cops on them. Yeah. You know, I mean. And, That's not the authority of the state. And like none of this yeah. gives the Christian license to be offensive just for no. being insult, you know, for offensiveness' no, sake. Right. Exactly. So, so like, you know, keep in mind, Christian, you know, blood atonement is offensive enough to the, mm -hmm. to the unbeliever. You mm -hmm. want to remove barriers of offense yeah. because, you know, the, the cross is the ultimate offense. And so yeah. you know, like that's, that's something to be, to be yeah. mindful of. But nevertheless, you, 
it is it would be illegitimate to call the the arm of the state to to aid someone because they felt offended or they felt insulted yeah it subjectivizes it's, it's too it. subjective yeah. there's really yeah it's too subjective and it ends up and in fact that's where you get up th- get into things like uh the salem witch trials and, and things like that where people just get accused yeah of anything and the state's like well something was wrong i'm gonna go punish that person that 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 did the allegedly wrong thing without really witnesses or evidence or anything like that. Um, and to your point that you mentioned earlier, this, this comes back around to the concept of responsibility being paired with rights. You said duties, responsibility, same idea yeah. that every right comes with a responsibility. And I think that is very clear in Genesis 9-6 where God ties them both together explicitly. He says... Um, by man's, you know, whoever sheds the mon- the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, right? So, because God made man in his own image. So, there's both a right and a responsibility. You, as a person in God's image, have a right not to be murdered, okay? And if you are, society should do something about it. But at the same time, you have a responsibility not to murder other people. Mm. Like, you cannot take... Uh, unlawfully take the life of someone made in image in the image of God. So, so there's both a responsibility and a right uh, to that. Same thing with speech, right? I mean, where the where we do have free speech uh, and, and free thought, but God also commands us to believe certain things, you know. So, and to say certain things and to guard our tongues, right? So, uh, there's always a responsibility there. Um, so, that's just uh, something important to to bring up. Um, so when we bring it back to our current cultural context, let's take a look at um, consequences of, of how our modern society has, has divorced rights from God's word, from humans being made in the image of God. And let's play that out a little bit here. So the first point I wanted to make is that um, our, our modern view is that rights are determined by individuals, little gods. Everyone is their own god. Uh, and they therefore claim to have their own rights, um, but of course they can't. They can't enforce that themselves. They need society to to do that. They need the state to um, to wield the power to make that a reality, right? Um, so we become our own little gods, create our own little laws, and have our own little little rights. But of course, we need the state to give them to us because we can't um, have it or attain it ourselves. And in this really sad attempt to become our own God, we end up making the state into God. Like I said, it's the, uh, the state ends up becoming the one who gives and takes away, right? And so the result really is that rights are just temporary or flimsy. I mean, if they're based on um, emotional responses, they just come and go as, uh, as the system changes. As time goes on, one day you have a right. Um, because you know the state's listening to you. You have the, you know, y- your vote is being, being considered, and the, whoever has the power is like, I, I like your your right. But maybe tomorrow, um, the next political ruler comes into play, and he's like, you know what? I don't like your rights anymore. You don't you don't get to have those because um, you're not part of you know you're not one of my constituents, right? So, it it just becomes, it just becomes flimsy, nebulous, and uh, all of it gets swept gets swept away. Um, another thing that, that I think is happening in our modern culture is that 
we are demanding rights but have no expectations of responsibilities at all really we want to have our cake and eat it too uh in a way we want to have all the fun and no responsibility so for example a right to um you know uh, uh, have uh, intimate relationships with with people whoever we want to right but the responsibility of let's say marriage or raising children yeah we don't need to stay married don't need to be married divorce can ha i can just get divorced whenever i want to and children well we can just kind of deal with that you know with with abortion or, you know these are all they're all tied together you know these all these rights basically are are being um uh, asked for or or demanded uh but there's no responsibility hmm. for for any particular behavior that's expected of me hmm. uh, in there so we like you mentioned about the funded rights right uh we want the car we want the house but we don't want to have to pay for it and have to have to work for it so um that's kind of where we're at today and without god or god's word in the picture it just becomes a big mud muddy mess of chaos where it's it almost ends up being like what what is written in the book of judges um in judges 17:6 where uh, it says in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes hmm. i mean can you imagine living in a society like that where everyone does whatever they think is right pure chaos hmm. pure anarchy and just no justice at all um and the final result, so when, when this happens, when you divorce everything from God and his word, it spirals out of control and goes down into death and injustice, you know. And, and I think the best example of that is the concept of reproductive rights. Hmm. I mean, what does that mean when someone says, when someone says that they have reproductive rights or they demand it? It's the right for a woman to do whatever they want to her own body. My body, my right. That's the very fundamental concept that's being uh, said there. It's divorced from any responsibility to use their body properly, okay? But you know, in marriage, you know, in marriage, and and not having inappropriate relationships, you know, whatever the case may be. Here goes Eric mansplaining. That's right. I'm just kidding. And it's div <laughs> it's divorced from any recognition that either the woman or her unborn child is made in the image of God. It's divorced from that concept. Mm. Um, the, 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 the child is just purely property. Mm. It, it doesn't really have any value unless the woman gives it value. And since the woman does not give it value, it, it belongs in the garbage dump. But there no, there's no rights for that, that unborn child. And get this, if any obstacle or hindrance is placed in the way of the woman to, let's say, abort her baby, it's the duty of society to do something about it. So when they when they call out for reproductive rights, what they're saying is that um, there are obstacles and hindrances in the way of them being able to abort their child. And it is the duty of the society to fix that, hmm. to make it easier, to provide for it, to remove any obstacles. And that's why uh, those who are very firmly uh, uh, advocating for reproductive rights, they they hate any law that would cause a hindrance to that. Let's say that uh, a law um, requires an, a, an abortion clinic to have the same medical standards as a hospital, or or doctors that perform abortions have to have um, 
you know, a license to be able to practice in the hospital, uh, you know, so or, or any kind of the same standards. If you say that they have to be held at the same standards, well, that's an obstacle or a hindrance to the reproductive rights of the woman. You know, if she has to pay for anything out of pocket, that's an obstacle. It needs to get removed. And that's the concept of rights being twisted and abused for that for that reason. So I think that this is a this can this could be a helpful example for distinguishing types of rights yes. and and how they tie back to their grounding in scripture because you could think of this on the one hand as a funded right. Now what would it mean to call uh, let's say access to abortion services mm -hmm. a funded right. Well, what it would mean is, you know, something nebulous called society is it is incumbent on society to pay the to fund or whatever. Uh, you know, the 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 abort the abort services, yep. the, the procedure, mm -hmm. exactly. So that would be in the funded category. Yep. Now, if this were understood in a freedom category, it would mean that uh, society is to forbear this woman's uh, choice to, you know, go and and seek out and have an yeah. abortion, and and even if she were the one to pay for it. So yeah. now, you know, what? So let's let's set aside the funded right aspect mm -hmm. of that for just a minute and talk about the freedom right aspect. Now, mm -hmm. why, from from any kind of you know worldview perspective, m l let's say from a Christian perspective, mm -hmm. why would a right to abortion not fall into the freedom category where society is to forbear with a woman's choice to to pursue an abortion. Well, yeah. you know, we talked about one reason earlier is because we also have an equal uh, responsibility to pursue the same right for the baby that she's carrying. That's right. But even more than that, that particular notion, that particular right, even if the notion of right that's being appealed to mm -hmm. is grounded in scripture, that particular right is not grounded in scripture. Now, so this kind of comes back to what because we Because the baby's made in the image of God too. Right. This comes back <laughs> to what we were talking about earlier. Rights must so now outside of the context of, you know, kind of uh, abortion rights, right? Rights in general must be established mm -hmm. on common religious principles or else society is left to chaos. And then like right. secular re religion enforces its vision of morality. Every religious system does. So mm -hmm. like if somebody says you can't appeal to the Bible, then, you know, one one important answer is to say, okay, well, then, fine, then you can't appeal to your moral system in talking about rights. Yeah. What would you appeal to? And if, yeah. yeah, if neither of us can appeal to our respective moral systems in talking about rights, then we have no grounds at all whatsoever for talking about rights at all. So the irony is we end up, by, by removing Scripture from the equation, we end up undermining the very... Uh, the, the, it's like cutting off the branch we're sitting on, right? It's yeah. like you you remove from yourself the very uh, foundation for rights at all whatsoever. There's no there's yeah. no worldview neutrality when it comes to rights. Their rights are grounded in ethics. They're grounded in justice, mm -hmm. and each of these are transcendentally grounded in the triune God. Yep. So it's not a matter of whether we will bring our worldviews to bear. Our 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 you know, scripture references to bear when we're talking about rights. It's just a matter of which worldview we will bring to bear. So now when we, yeah. here's, here's the benefit now to your point about, uh, let's, you know, so-called reproductive rights or a woman's choice to be able to have an abortion. You know, the same scripture that we're going to appeal to <laughs> for, for saying, okay, you know, we need to defend the right of the unborn child. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, say, okay, this is not something that a, a, a woman can freely choose to do is mm -hmm. to murder her unborn child. Um, that same scripture is then going to put the incumbent duty 
onto the father to man up, to be a husband, to provide, well, to care for. And there's laws for that. In the and there's Testament. laws for that. Well, but but see now, so you think about how many uh, real serious protections for for women have been removed from from law in, say, for example, no fault divorce, and it, where, where right. men just, just kind of do whatever they want, and then they and, leave, and men leave, and and they're now free to leave, and you know you got to pay a little bit of child support here and there, but but that's the end of it. There's sure. no there's no duty laid upon him to be involved in the in the child's life. So I want to be just as firm with with the man who's like, you know, who's running around and, and acting wild and, and doing these things that he ought not to be doing. And that, quite frankly, you know, are not only morally problematic, but but legally problematic. No, I agree. So, so you know. Yeah, I, no. And, and at, the end of the, at the end of the day, it comes back to the concept of value, okay? Because, again, um, if God values it or he says something has value, that's the grounding for any concept of rights. But it's weird because from an evolutionary perspective, again, there is no such thing as, as value. Nothing really has value. Nature does not care about a particular thing. It's just random selection, nat natural selection, random chemicals fizzing. We're nothing more than, than stardust. So if our species dies, nature, this nebulous nature, this un impersonal force does not care. There is no right for the species to survive. There is nothing for that, right? So, because there's no inherent value. So in that kind of a worldview, the only concept of rights comes from when you, basically, you have to create value for something. You have to give something value. We become our little gods that gives value to something. And that's why, um, the un in, a, in a lot of cases, the unborn children are not valued. So therefore, they have no rights. It's as simple as that. If you value, if something has no value to you, then it ha there's no rights attached to it at all. Which is exactly why to remove subjectivity from the notion of rights, it is critical that they be grounded in a transcendental right. notion yeah. of the triune God who grants those rights. And yeah. anything else is like <clears throat> undermining the very notion of like appeal to rights yeah. to, to begin with. Yeah, it's really, it's really sad. And our current, uh, current culture rights is really just self-centered. I mean, it ends up being, I am my own God. I declare what is a right and what is not. I am my own God and I am not responsible to anyone or anything but myself. And that's really what much of our discourse is regarding what it devolves right. into. Well, yeah, and, 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 and the, sadly, the end result, it's, it's so weird because when you clamor for rights apart from God, you're, who are you talking to? You're talking to the government. You're talking to the state. And you end up becoming under a tyrant because, um, you know, real gods have real power, right? Our, the, the real living God has real power. But individual little humans, we don't have that much power. Like, we have a very little power. So who's got the power? Well, the state does. The government has the power. So they have to beg for the state to recognize and force and give them their rights. And so, yeah, the government sometimes says, sure, I grant you uh, these rights in exchange for your money and exchange for your votes. Um, and it ends up becoming a system of bribery and slavery because the state can basically come back one day and say, guess what? If you don't obey or vote or give me money, I'll just take your rights away because, you know, you know, the state gives and the state takes away. Blessed be the name of the state. You know, that's what ends up happening when you completely remove God. Um, from the picture. And I kind of wanted to end on uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, passages uh, from the New Testament in John chapter 19, when Jesus 
you know, the word made flesh, God incarnate is talking to Pontius Pilate. Like Pilate represents, you know, he is Caesar in a way, you know, in this situation. And, you know, in the trial, Pilate is trying to assert his authority over Jesus because Jesus is not really answering his questions the way he wants. And so in John 19.10, uh, it says, So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So it's just, it's a beautiful thing there because um, if you look at the, the, the context there, right after that, that, that exchange between the two, it says that Pilate tried to get Jesus released, but, uh, but the Jewish leaders kept calling for his crucifixion. And I always, I always found that striking because why does Jesus say, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin? So first he says, you have no authority unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So I don't understand there. Who's he talking about? Because we would initially say, yeah, you, you would have no authority over me unless it had been granted to you from above. Of course, God gave you the authority, Pilate, right? But then he says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Why? Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Jewish leaders. And so I think Jesus is making a double point here. Um, and I've read a couple commentaries that, that point this out, is that, yes, it's true that he's, he's, he's saying that there is an authority above Pilate, but he's also kind of taken a little, he's, he's revealing something of Pilate's own weakness and, and imperfection, because he's also saying, and guess what, Pilate, guess who's over you? Yes, it's God, but right now, the Jewish leaders, you're their puppet. Because they who deliver me over to you has the greater sin. They're the ones that are in charge of this whole, this whole thing. Mm. And, and then it goes on to say later on is that Pilate, what, is, what happens with Pilate? He is always under the pressure of the Jewish leaders. And he keeps trying. You know, it says he tries to um, get Jesus released, but uh, the, uh, the Jewish leaders don't have that. right? And he just capitulates to the demands of the Pharisees and the leaders. And he becomes a coward. Pilate, you know, he washes his hands and says, I am absolved of this. Yeah, he's trying to make himself feel good. His job is to administer justice. And he knows there's not enough evidence to convict Jesus, this innocent man. But he does it because he doesn't want to um, get the, the Jewish leaders upset hmm. at him. So Pilate is just a weak man. And when he tries to assert his authority over Jesus, Jesus kind of points out, like, you, you really have no authority because not only are you under God— but you're just catering to these Jewish leaders. Mm. They are the ones that have authority over you. Mm. Because in a way, Pilate is abdicating his job. He's failing miserably. So I just found that interesting. And is that at the end of the day, um, you know, there is a higher authority over all of us and the government. And that is God. Mm. You know? And so we need to recognize that for any, any discussion of rights to take, to take place here. You who know. defines rights and makes rights worth protecting, defending, articulating, and and ultimately because they glorify him by upholding yeah. the rights of his image bearers and seeing his word as the fount of those rights yeah. and the state as an administrator of them, not a grantor. Yeah. Um, 
Very good. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the work you've been doing on this topic and, and some of the preparation you put in. Uh, I know we, we've look, we've touched on a lot of minefields today. Uh, <laughs> and and this is it can be very seriously, it can be a very touchy, very sensitive subject. So um, yeah. we are we are teachable from from God's word. So if you do feel that we've misstepped at all, please, you know, feel free to reach out, share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you have questions uh, mm-hmm. that kind of put a you want us to put a sharper point on any of the items we've touched on today, you can feel free to reach out to us. We can be reached at twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at twoguysinabible, facebook.com forward slash twoguysinabible, and twoguysinabible.org. Again, my name is Dylan Keniston. Uh, This has been an episode on rights and where they come from, Mm -hmm. uh, led by Eric. So thank you, brother, again. I appreciate it. And listeners, thank you for sticking with us all the way through, and God bless. All right, take care. God bless. God bless.